My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Iteration 37. At the end of 1999, I bought my first new car, a 2000 Chevy Blazer Sport in all black with a dark gray interior. I had never bought a new car before, and the purchase process took months, literally. I think I test drove every new car available under $30,000, multiple times. It got to the point where salespeople at several local dealerships knew me by name. As it turned out, the local Chevy dealer was owned by the father of a guy I went to high school with who ended up making me a great deal on the Blazer. I think in part so I would stop coming in to test drive his cars. Still, I loved that car and I drove it for more than a decade before trading it in. When I decided to upgrade to a new mic, I tested more than 20 different mics, condensers, dynamics, even a couple ribbon mics, before finally landing on the Electrovoice RE320 that I currently use. And then there's my search for a new camera, which was sort of a running joke for about five of the six years of doing on-taking pictures. The point is, I do an exhaustive amount of research on the tools that I buy. On the upside, once I finally get to a decision, I rarely have buyer's remorse. Seller's remorse is another story. Specifically, a mint condition Nikon F2AS with a 50mm 1.2 that I still have no idea why I sold. Last week, I pulled the trigger on a new camera. And no, it's not a Fuji X-T3, despite the number of YouTubers treating it as the holy grail of photographic devices. It's also not a Canon EOS R or a Nikon Z6 or Z7 or any other camera that's come out this year. It's not medium format or full frame or even APS-C. So what is it? Before I get to the what, I'd like to talk a little bit about the why. Before I bought my Fuji X-Pro1, I was using a Nikon D300, which I absolutely loved. More than 10 years later, I think it's still the most comfortable DSLR I've ever held. The balance and weight are near perfect, and the button placement feels like it was made for my hands. The X-Pro1, on the other hand, is more or less a metal brick, especially without the addition of a hand grip or a thumbs-up thumb rest. But the metal exterior is cold to the touch when I pick it up, which takes me back to the old film cameras that my grandfather used and that I learned photography on. How it feels more than makes up for its inherent quirks and, let's face it, less than stellar autofocus, especially by current standards. I think the tools we use should encourage us to use them. And in choosing a new camera, something as personal and subjective as feel means much more to me than being able to shoot at 15 versus 10 frames per second or having a third of a stop more dynamic range at ISO 25600. I'm going to make a gross generalization here and say that I have put more time into researching a new camera than many of you will ever put into researching anything. Literally, years of reading spec sheets and comparisons, watching YouTube videos of first impressions and full reviews, trying to decide on the perfect camera. But here's the thing I've learned. There is no perfect camera. There is no perfect car. There is no perfect microphone. There is no perfect anything. I was talking to a friend about this who said, I know without even seeing your studio that you have a favorite brush. And it's probably not the most expensive and it's probably not the best. And he's absolutely right. I do have a favorite brush. (laughs) It's a three-quarter inch natural bristle Roscoe Scenic Fitch that I bought in either 1987 or 1988 and have used on every painting I've done since. Is it the best brush out there? No, not by a long shot. But it feels great in my hand and there's a history of experiences that come along with it every time I pick it up. 
That feel is what ultimately led me to the Olympus EM-1 Mark II, a two-year-old body based around a micro four-thirds sensor that really seems to represent the exact opposite direction that the major players in the camera industry seem to be going in. Don't get me wrong, the performance of the EM-1 Mark II is outstanding by any measure. Even without the eye and face tracking of the Sony a7 III or the ability to shoot 4K 60 at 400 megabits per second like the Fuji X-T3, or the potentially razor-thin depth of field possible with virtually any full-frame camera. But neither the Sony nor the Fuji feel as good in my hands as the Olympus, and I'm not interested in depth of field that's measured in single-digit millimeters. Over the weekend, I posted a portrait of my wife Adrian that I took in our backyard. She's lit by a single speed light firing through a socked beauty dish just to the right of the camera. Not only are the colors, including the skin tones, superb, the depth of field rendered by the 12-40 f2.8 is soft and buttery. Now, you may be able to pick it apart, but honestly, I can't, and I'm pretty particular. As for choosing a small sensor in what's increasingly becoming a big sensor world, look, I've seen billboards made from iPhone photos that look pretty great, so I'm confident that the 11x14s or 13x19s I'm going to print are going to look just fine. The point of all of this is that finding the perfect thing is an illusion. There is no objective best. There's only what's best for you. So however you need to get there, choose the tools that will encourage you to pick them up and use them. If there are specific obstacles or shortcomings, embrace them. Use them to your advantage as a means to make the work you make unique. In the show notes, you'll find links to a few of the things that I have found interesting over the past week or two, including episode 354 of Freakonomics Radio, which is called How to Be Creative. In this episode, they ask a bunch of artists and musicians and academics, how do you define creativity? It's a really interesting listen. Also, photographer Nick Brandt just launched a teaser for his next body of work called This Empty World, which, as he writes, quote, addresses the escalating destruction of the natural world at the hands of humankind, end quote. It looks like another stunning body of work, just like Inherit the Dust before it. And I'm really looking forward to getting the opportunity to sit down with Nick and talk about it. I've recently finished the latest season of Man in the High Castle and was reminded just how much I love the opening title sequence, which uh, the sequence was done by a company called Elastic, who also did Westworld and The Crown and The Punisher and all sorts of other really killer titles. So there's a link to them as well. Subscribe to Iterations in your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can also subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything and get all the process drivens, all the iterations, all the one off conversations, everything I do in one feed. You can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J E F F E R Y S A D D O R I S. Or you can visit my website at jeffreysidoris.com. I'll be back in a week or two with another iteration, and I hope you'll join me. Until then, as always, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll talk to you on the next one. Mm -hmm.